Welcome to Sound Practice, the business podcast for physicians and healthcare leaders, hosted by Cheryl Toth and Mike Sakopoulos, and produced by the American Association for Physician Leadership. Mike, last fall at the AAPL Institute, there was a wellness course that kept running long every day. A couple of the physicians I was interviewing for our podcast had to reschedule our recording uh, because of it, because they were going to be late and we had to reschedule. Yeah, what do they say, Tothi? Best laid plans of mice and men. Yeah. But look, of course, in your amicable style, you were gracious and flexible and rescheduled those positions so we could keep them on the podcast. Yes, of course I did that. And honestly, it was not a big deal at all. But what was a big deal was this. I noticed that instead of arriving for their interview, completely wiped out from a day of sitting and looking at, you know, the bullets on a slide presentation. Oh, is that not the worst? Talk about just the horrors of continuing education. <laughs> Death by PowerPoint, sitting in the back of the, one of those halls, trying to focus, but um, really wishing you were anywhere else. Yes, I, I, I know what you mean. Yeah, you know what I mean. But in this case, it was not the case because these doctors did not arrive all drained, they had been attending the Leading Well From Within wellness course led by author, trainer, and coach, Dr. Daniel Friedland. And they were so fired up and full of energy. They, we talked a little bit before we started, you know, hit record and started the interview. They raved about the experience, which they said was very interactive, very worthwhile, very introspective. They just loved the course. Well, now this bodes well for us and, and you in particular. Tothi, because you interviewed Dr. Friedland for today's episode. I did. And he was passionate about the topics of conscious leadership and mindfulness. Um, he talked about the science behind these important practices and gives uh, a bunch of great takeaways in our interview about how physicians and leaders can elevate their teams. And he provides some very practical ways to do that. Ooh, well, given the current environment and the long haul that we have ahead of us with coronavirus, COVID-19, this information certainly is timely, uh, Tothi. So let's do word of the show and then just go right into your interview. You bet. I chose the word resilience today. And mm -hmm. I'm sure listeners know this word. They're familiar with this word. But what I thought was it was a perfect choice for this moment in time. And it sets up my conversation with Dr. Friedland. Resilience, an ability to recover from or adjust easily to misfortune or change. Well, we certainly need our leaders to have resiliency now, Tothi. Uh, so well, well chosen on the word. And you've now set the stage. Let's open the curtains and listen to your conversation with Dr. Daniel Friedland. I'm talking today with speaker, trainer, and executive coach, Dr. Daniel Friedland. Dr. Friedland is the CEO of SuperSmart Health. He trains business and healthcare leaders in conscious leadership, supporting and teaching them to master their thoughts and feelings so they can act in alignment with their vision, purpose, and values. Dr. Friedland, your areas of expertise and service are truly needed right now, and we're grateful you've taken the time to talk with us on Sound Practice. Welcome. Thank you so much, Tothi, and just really, uh, I'm so delighted to be here with um, all of you listening as well. 
Well, let me tell folks a little bit more about you, Dr. Friedland. And by the way, I understand that people affectionately refer to you as Dr. Danny. So I'll call okay. you as well. Please, please, yes. <laughs> you said I could. <laughs> yeah. Um, so you lead a number of the leading well from within wellness programs for the AAPL at the institutes as well as for AAPL clients. And that work has been based on your book, Leading Well From Within, which is focused on conscious leadership and resilience. Uh, your clients include hospital systems nationwide. And I know you were also the founding chair of the Academy of Integrative Health and Medicine. Um, and I thought I'd start, Dr. Danny, by asking why the title of the book? Why Leading Well From Within? Yeah, thank you, Tofi. Um, so the title is based on the premise that if we want to lead well in the world, the first place we need to know how to lead is within ourselves. Fundamentally, um, understanding how do we navigate our stress, uncertainty, and self-doubt to really be able to stay focused on what matters most, um, giving us the capacity to elevate others around us. You have a lot of neuroscience principles in this book. I love that it's evidence-based from that context. Tell us about the neuroscience in the book. Tell us, you know, what do we know about neuroscience and how it can impact leaders in high-pressure situations? You know, Tosia, I love the question. And the question around neuroscience is, you know, uh, why is that important to begin with? And what I find most, um, you know, comforting about neuroscience is I, I see a lot of compassion in neuroscience. Because if you can understand how your brain works, you begin to actually feel like it destigmatizes what you're feeling. Mm -hmm. You begin to understand that this is how my brain works under stress. And it also gives you more compassion for others, understanding that you know, other brains work like this too, and so you're not alone. So it's very, very connecting. And so one of the ways that I looked um, to clarify this in the book, it's the neuroscience piece is a vast body of research. So I was looking to simplify and streamline for practical application. And one of the major patterns is that the brain, there's a construct called the triune brain that was put forth by um, Dr. Paul McLean at the National Institutes of Mental Health in the 1960s. And it's in the evolutionary model of the brain, the triune brain, where the brain develops from the bottom up and the back forward. Um, simple terms and for pragmatic use, the brain essentially maps against Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Literally, um, um, you know, simplified to levels of safety, belonging, and significance. So the base of the brain, you know, the brain stem is um, really primarily focused or largely focused on safety. Your brain is safety first. The strongest circuits in our brain and in um, when we're triggered, you know, um, uh, we're focused on fight and flight responses to keep us safe. Mm -hmm. The next level uh, in evolution, the love and belonging brain aligns with um, a constellation of structures called the paleomammalian brain or the limbic system. And this has a number of functions, you know, pursuit of food, water, sex, air bonding, it's also the seat of our sympathetic our autonomic nervous system, our neuroendocrine system. And a significant part of this is pair bonding. And so this part of the brain gives rise 
to our capacity for love and belonging, nurturing. And then you've got the third part of the triune brain is, you know, at the top, it's the neocortex. And then there's a part of the neocortex called the prefrontal cortex. And that is the, if you were to designate this, the CEO of your brain, you would be designating this because the prefrontal cortex, the newest in evolution, integrates all levels below it. And it has a number of very important functions, including the capacity for emotional regulation. It's also got um, a highway of fibers coming up from gut intelligence, heart intelligence, radiating forward in the brain, giving us social awareness, empathy, compassion, morality. In addition, um, so this, these circuits enable you to relate well to others. In addition, um, this part of the brain has um, our executive function, the ability to create vision, strategy, um, decision-making. And then it's also got this quality called metacognition where you can step back and notice the mental stream of your mind and pause before you respond. So this top part of the brain, which integrates all levels below it, that really aligns with essentially gives us the capacity for high performance, conscious leadership, you know, uh, that aligns with something called the creative mindset of leadership, mm-hmm. while our safety circuits that are designed to save our life, you know, put us into a reactive mindset to protect ourselves from harm. So, you know, you can think about the brain, the base of the brain is fast reactive survival capacity mm-hmm. it's also associated with some of the low performance leadership characteristics at the at, at that base because it's a sledgehammer we can get more into that whereas the top of the brain is slow wise and that gives us the capacity for high performance conscious leadership well so let's talk about that slow wise the the neocortex the top of the brain how does it impact what does it mean in the context of conscious leadership how does how does it work with that and why is that important now? Well, that's, um, again, I really appreciate the question, Toti. Uh, it's, so there are a number of um, other dots to connect over here. So the next dot to connect is understanding the flows that happen in the brain. And there are flows of what I call flows of depreciation and flows of appreciation. So, um, and those flows are essentially modulated by a formula. The formula is, what is the relationship to the, of the demands we're facing in our life to the resources we have to engage? And when demands exceed resources, we plummet down into the safety frame, into a state of reactivity. So we plummet down into the safety frame. And by the way, the reason why it's so important at this point in time is that demands have never been higher healthcare providers were already overwhelmed with uh, an overwhelming set of demands to begin with, with strained resources. And now in this, in this time of COVID crisis, it's COVID disease is heaping a whole nother layer of um, demands and then disrupting resources. So many leaders have caved under threat now, which is by the way, which is entirely normal in terms of what the brain does to protect itself from a state of high demand and, scarce resources. It's going to go into a safety frame, some of which is adaptive. So when it comes to physical danger, it's entirely appropriate. Our reactivity is designed to save our life. So the hypervigilance around COVID is entirely appropriate. The 
care for economic financial security is entirely appropriate. But safety is a sledgehammer. When we're in the reactor frame, when we're responding to also to psychological threats, so we're responding to stress, we can fight for control and take flight from things that leave us feeling out of control. When we're threatened by self-doubt, our internal dialogue of self-doubt, we can fight to prove self-worth and take flight from things that trigger self-doubt. So this part, you know, when, when it comes to leadership in our fight and flight, fighting for control, taking flight, you know, fighting to prove self-worth, it can also lead to some low performance leadership characteristics and create a tremendous amount of strain in our relationships. And it can, can literally, it can fragment teams. So what does that look like in the current environment? Like you say, I mean, it's talk about demand exceeding supply at the moment. I mean, we've, they've just, there's so many pressures right now on physician leaders. What does that look like in terms of how that fight or flight can manifest in breaking oh. apart the teams? What should physicians be kind of watching out for? Yes, 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 yes. Um, so when we go into a stream of um, the stream of depreciation into or into our safety circuits, um, Daniel Goleman calls us amygdala hijack. Mm. And what mm. happens is as you go down into your safety frame, literally over weeks or months, and this has been going on by the time you, you're listening to, we've been in COVID crisis, high demand, scarce resources, stress for weeks now. Mm -hmm. What happens is as you plummet into the safety frame, we become exhausted. When we forego love and belonging, we become disconnected. And when we forego a sense of significance, we can have a reduced sense of accomplishment. Those three domains, exhaustion, disconnection, and a reduced sense of accomplishment, that's the gold standard definition of burnout. Mm. So many, we were already at almost one in two clinicians having symptoms of burnout before the crisis happened. This is very, very likely to um, intensify um, the COVID crisis is very likely to intensify burnout. So again, if you're feeling strains of exhaustion, disconnection, or reduced sense of accomplishment, I just want to reassure you that that's not a weakness or that's a, or that's a flaw. That, that's how your brain is designed to respond to high demand and low resources environment. So ultimately, if you look at burnout, burnout is the inverse of that simplified hierarchy, um, Maslow's hierarchy of needs at safety, belonging, and significance. So it's entirely understandable that we're experiencing burnout. So now the question becomes, how with that insight, how do we reverse that? How do, with that understanding, how do we elevate our leadership? How do we become more resilient? Yeah, and how do, they, how do folks uh, refine, learn, refine, uh, sharpen some of the key skills for that elevation so they can weather what appears to be something that's not going away in the next couple of years? For sure, things are changing, they're different, the pressure will continue. What, what do you suggest for leaders who uh, are yeah. looking to elevate those key skills? Yeah, so first of all, it, it, this requires leadership. 
this if ever there was a time for leadership where people in your teams are experiencing high demand, low resources, and people are going to the safety frame and teams may be coming either rigid or chaotic, this is the time for leaders to actually support, to support that rise. Um, so actually Peter Drucker has a powerful quote. Oh, he says, even at, the best, even at the best of times, um, organizations are a mix of friction, confusion, and low performance because, you know, there's an entropic pull towards our safety frame. And then he says, everything else requires leadership. So when you're looking at leadership and actually conscious leadership, so what is, what is conscious leadership then? Um, conscious leadership comes out of the, um, the conscious capitalism movement. And the Conscious Capitalist Movement is a very large international movement founded by companies like Starbucks, Whole Foods, Trader Joe's, Best Buy. And they really are, have all these organizations have come together to actually to say that we see the capacity, the greatest opportunity for social change coming through organizations, coming through businesses, nonprofits. And ultimately, their mission statement is we exist to elevate humanity. We exist to elevate humanity. And that's Maslowian. That's Maslowian. And they run on four tenets. The first tenant is higher purpose drive. And so it's coming, part of this is really becoming very clear on what is the purpose of our organization. Then second tenant is making sure that all stakeholders in the ecosystem are uh, accounted for. And so oftentimes we can, in healthcare, we can really focus on patients and cost-effective healthcare, you know, and population-based health, and that's the triple aim. But it's so important for leaders to really invest now in the quadruple aim, to really understand that we need to kind of really factor in, how do we take care of our healthcare providers? Yeah. How do we take care of our healthcare providers too, so that we um, can create a resilient system? And then the third tenant is about conscious leadership that drives the fourth tenant, conscious culture and a thriving environment. So what does that look like you know, in terms of conscious leadership? What does it mean to actually elevate leadership capacity, to create compassionate healing cultures, especially at this time of tremendous stress and uncertainty? And again, that's Maslowian. What does it mean to lead from your higher self? It's Maslowian. So the skills and practices of leading well from within, it's first of all, how do we learn how to create psychological safety within ourselves? How do we learn how to actually create a deep sense of psychological safety within ourselves? How do we learn to more fully connect with ourselves? And how do we learn to actually kind of refocus on what gives our life meaning and significance? And if we're able to do that, to create psychological safety, to reconnect with you know, ourselves, mind, body, and spirit, to reconnect what really matters, you know, that actually um, cultivates, that creates a sense of resiliency. And it's by that token, when we know how to do that inside ourselves, then we can truly invest, invest in creating psychological safety for our teams, creating a greater sense of connection, creating a collective sense of purpose. And there are a number of skills that facilitate that rise. 
let's talk about uh, Dr. Danny. What are some of the skills you were mentioning uh, that these leadership skills are we're ripe right now for those? Tell us uh, what your thoughts are about how leaders can cultivate those in themselves and for their teams. Yeah, that's wonderful. And, and in many ways, the work of leading well from within and conscious leadership, it really simplifies into this. It's how do we optimize our relationship with ourselves and others? And that optimization resides in conversation. So how do we optimize our internal conversation that helps empower us to optimize the external conversation. So the foundation of this work is mindfulness. Mm -hmm. And the way I define mindfulness, mindfulness is the practice of paying attention. So it's cultivating self-awareness, you're observing self, paying attention with a sense of openness, kindness, and curiosity for what's ever arising in the present moment. And the openness gives you a deeper sense of safety. It's oftentimes the resistance creates suffering. So to be able to say, I would prefer this is, were not the case, but I have the capacity to stand in the presence of what is and work with what is. The kindness, claims the love and belonging frame. It gives you the courage to lean in. And the curiosity, especially around the questions of what best serves now, is um, can put us in a place of purpose and significance. And, and it is so, so important, so important, once we're able to do that within ourselves, to put ourselves in that stream of appreciation, that internal flow of conversation, because now more than ever, this idea of what is it gonna take for us to elevate humanity? And Tothi, it's not only COVID. Right now, there is so much pain and suffering around how COVID has unmasked racial injustice, and which has created painful unrest. Yes. It's, been, it's been tremendously painful to see. And, you know, ultimately, it's for us to really think on this broader society with leaders having the capacity to lead from their higher selves. It's taking a stand. It's taking a stand for creating physical and psychological safety. So eliminating racism, eliminating sexism, eliminating xenophobia. It's about... Um, at the love and belonging frame, this unconditional positive regard that we hold for everyone, there can be no rise without a sense of equality and justice. And so it's ultimately, we're advocating for the society as well in leadership. We're advocating for a society where there is equality so that we can co-create meaning and purpose together. Well, and I, I completely agree. And I love this mindfulness practice, which I'm familiar with in my own life. And this, you know, getting folks to pay attention, as you say, in these three layers, openness, kindness, curiosity, are 
not only can drive success with it from within, leading well from within, but with teams and being just sort of this wide open, it feels like a heart space to me almost, you know, it, to, to encompass so much more than just in your hospital, in your team, in your health system, but the greater community around you. It's at all levels. It's at all levels. And ultimately, relationships are relationships. You know, um, you know, sometimes we try to do this dichotomy of work and home um, and community, but relationships are relationships. And it's, it's fundamentally about kind of how do we humanize ourselves um, to actually experience ourselves as fully human with these qualities of openness, kindness, and, and curiosity with which we can elevate ourselves, we can elevate our families, we can elevate our teams, we can elevate our communities and take a role more broadly in elevating, being part of contributing to a just society and elevating humanity at large. Well, and you know, these, the, the, the third of the three things you mentioned, the curiosity, uh, you t and you talk about the creative mindset in your book and one of the big takeaways I hear you you talk about is curiosity and learning and the resiliency. You know, people have to learn how to learn. And um, why don't you talk a little bit about this active learning cycle and the power of asking the right questions in these internal and external conversations that you're. Uh, that's that's such a that's such an important such an important question because ultimately, if you want to really catalyze learning and growth. The most important skill that you've alluded to over here, Tofi, is um, the most important skill that you can have to facilitate your learning and growth is learning how to learn. Mm -hmm. And so not only learning how to learn for you, but actually as a leader, how do you create a learning culture where you're all co-learning together in the service of upward spiral of elevation? And so the active learning cycle has... Um, three main components. First of all, the first component is content or experience. Content or experience. But at the same time, while content experience is necessary for transformational change, it's insufficient for change. Learning, content and experience alone doesn't create change. What creates change is the next two components. It is the metabolism. It is the digestion of the content and experience that does. So the next element is absolutely vital. It's having, making the space and the time for yourself to effectively reflect and to ask powerful questions, to ask powerful questions. And that can be inspired. There's a whole field of appreciative inquiry. And I weave this into Appreciative inquiry is a methodology for unlocking individual and collective wisdom at scale for an organization. And they have six foundational questions. The first question is a question of purpose. It's a discovery of purpose. So it's, you know, what is the topic now? What is the, so let's say for your organization, the topic is resiliency, learning how to become a more resilient organization. So you would look at, say, why does that matter to me? Why does it matter to our team? Why does it matter to our organization? Why does it matter to the world at large? Mm -hmm. So we're discovering into purpose. And then the next couple of questions really focus in terms of appreciative inquiry is about 
moving from the past to the present and then the future. Mm-hmm. So appreciative inquiry is the best of what was, is, and could be. So you're asking a question of where have we been most resilient in the past? Where have we seen examples where we've been up against it? You know, we've been through a tremendous struggle, but we've actually triumphed. We've actually come through this before. So you're looking in the past for the evidence of effectiveness. In other words, unlocking strengths. So your next question there is, what does that clarify about the current strengths that we have? We're clarifying, you know, what in the present, we're clarifying, what does it reveal to us about our current strengths? And then you're moving into the future and you're saying, okay, with these strengths flourishing, with these strengths flourishing, what will we be celebrating a year from now? What's our vision for success in the future? And then the next question is what strategies will make that happen? And what are the action steps that will pragmatically manifest our results? Moving into action, which is by the way, the third component of the active learning cycle. So so just in summary, what we've got over here is content and experience. And then you're going into high quality reflection with these meaningful questions Meaningful questions. And by the way, if we're not quite sure what question we can ask, sometimes the best question you could ask is, what is the best question we can ask? So That's a great point. That's a a great tip. (laughs) So so it's going to high-quality reflection, and that insight yields an action, action steps, that then loops back on itself that creates a new experience, that then goes into a whole new cycle of, so it, literally the active learning cycle is content experience, reflection, action, leading to new experience, new reflection, new actions. That's the upward spiral of learning and growth. You know, um, and high performance conscious leaders become experts in knowing how to actually create a learning culture in this active learning cycle. Well, and I like the number two, the, re- the reflective process of those six questions and starting from the past and what has worked and getting the team to think about, well, what have we done in the past? What could we be doing now? How can we take that into the future? Because so often, especially in healthcare, we're so busy dealing with what's in front of us. I mean, COVID is now, but it could be anything and packed patient schedules or, you know, all kinds of things. It takes great leadership to say, wait a minute, we've got to really look at this from what have we done? What could we do? Where are we going? So, so I really like that middle piece. Yeah. So there's, a, there's something else here, Kofi, in, in that um, the traditional problem-solving techniques that um, healthcare providers are very adept in using because we, we spend all day diagnosing problems. It really doesn't fully unlock the potential in the system because what happens is if you take a problem-solving approach, where you say, okay, what's the problem? You know, uh, what are the causes of the problem? And uh, then how do we fix this problem? When we go down that path, oftentimes somebody's to blame. And so it actually takes you, rather than lifting you up, it can take you into a place, you know, into that safety frame. This process of a, that's really based on appreciative inquiry is identifying and unlocking strengths. And Appreciative Inquiry was actually launched by David Cooperider at the Cleveland Clinic when he noticed that when he asked, you know, what gives life? What's energizing? 
what are the strengths in the system that the initially the teams that he was working with became energized about that because you were actually affirming and unlocking strengths. And actually, Drucker has another, uh, you know, wonderful quote on leadership. Um, he says, the task of leadership is to create an alignment of strengths, making a system of weaknesses irrelevant. What we're doing by asking those questions of purpose, first of all, you know, why does this matter to us? but we're bringing energy into the system. But then what you're doing by asking, where are we doing things well already? And what are our strengths? And how can we go further? That lifts a team off. And certainly, you know, the excitement of actually weaving this into the programs, um, weaving this into this methodology, into conscious leadership training, resiliency training, and in choreographing meaningful questions to unlock individual and collective wisdom is incredibly powerful. Well, and I, I want to just point out this, this idea of this capitalizing on the strengths and going from there. There was just a great piece in the Harvard Business Review earlier this year, some data that's um, come out about capitalizing on the strengths in this case that we're talking about the example of what has worked in the past and how can we leverage on that and how we can how can we expand how can we keep asking that is how humans learn it's so much more effective in building people and 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 growing them as team members and human beings and leaders than the problem solving and you know let let's give you constructive criticism or pick this apart or analyze that so uh, I, you know, it's it's just uh, this is the way, and it sounds like. Correct me if I'm wrong, but this is circles back to what you started talking about of the three, the triune brain, the neocortex. This is the place of possibility, right? The exactly, exactly. So it aligns with biology. It aligns with our biology, and what is so exciting is when when you can help healthcare providers, and you know, and working also more broadly in business and in families and well, well, everybody, when you can help invest individuals in an understanding with what is the choreography of a powerful internal conversation? What is the choreography of an internal conversation that lifts me up, that lifts me up? And many people are feeling pain, a mix of pain, shame and purpose right now you know, in terms of the painful social unrest. And so what are the streams, what are the streams that we listen to in our internal conversation and how do we rise? And then the powerful thing about learning the choreography of conversation in an external conversation, for example, what does effective peer coaching look like as it leverages all these principles? How do we actually lift others up around us with effective conversation. So that is what I'm really most fired up and passionate about, which is how do we actually advance conscious leadership, cultivate resiliency, and improve communication and conversations within, uh, within individuals and teams that can help organizations rise to fulfill their greatest mission and purpose and value they offer in the world. Wonderful. I hope that a lot of our listeners take note to attend one of your courses, uh, whether it's uh, at the Institute or perhaps um, in one of our APL clients. 
and uh, learn some of these things for themselves. This has really been fantastic, Dr. Danny. And I think I'm going to ask you to uh, close with this. What What is the most powerful message you'd like to leave our listeners with today? Oh, well, there are, you know, at this time, the heart of resiliency, the heart of resiliency, um, particularly with pain and struggle, is self-compassion. So what I wish is just an immense self-compassion for yourself at this time of challenge, treating yourself as you would treat your best friend or your loved ones, giving yourself that gift, and then from that place of engaging with curiosity in terms of finding the questions that are most nourishing to elevating you in a stream where you experience greater psychological safety, greater connection with yourself, and reconnecting with the joy, significance of your leadership and or your clinical practice. And I so, so, you know, just want to call out just the unbelievable contribution that has been made by all healthcare providers through this crisis. And I just want to express deep love and appreciation for each one of you in this work. I think that is a perfect way to end this episode. Dr. Danny, thank you so much for being our guest today on Sound Practice. Thank you, Tothi, and thanks, thanks to all of you listening. Whoa, Tothi, interview, very inspiring to listen to. Yeah, I sort of felt lifted off the ground <laughs> at the end of this conversation, no joke. Dr. Danny's passion around this topic made me feel... I guess I would call it hopeful. I guess that's mm -hmm. the right word. I, I like to think that the work he's doing to help physician leaders adopt a mindset that's open and kind and curious. I just hope that that can ignite change one leader, one organization at a time. We sure need that. This pandemic has lifted the lid off of systemic problems that in fairness, we've all known have, have been there. But there's a new spirit of resiliency around solving these these problems and not just incrementally anymore, Tothi, which we should all be happy about. Uh, first, Mike, I have to point out, nice job weaving in the word of the show. Thank you. Uh -huh. yeah. <laughs> yeah, <thank laughs> and you. second, uh, I completely agree. And I think that um, doctors and, and healthcare organizations are, they're going to have to take bigger leaps. And I think they're starting to um, creating a learning organization, which is something, you know, that Dr. Danny talked about using mindfulness principles. These are some of the ways we can get to a better place. Absolutely. Nice job on the interview. And thank you, Dr. Freeland, for, for joining us. Tothi, that ends us for this episode of Sound Practice. For those of you listening, if you haven't subscribed to our podcast yet, I certainly hope you will. Yes, I hope you do. And if you enjoy our interviews with great minds like Dr. Danny, please take a few minutes to rate or review Sound Practice in your podcast app. And refer us to a colleague. Yes, please. Please refer us to a colleague. We like that. Um, you can also send us feedback directly if you prefer. And that would be to the email address feedback at soundpracticepodcast.com. Don't miss our next episode of Sound Practice. We release one every other Wednesday. You've been listening to Sound Practice, the business podcast for physicians and healthcare leaders. Check out the show notes for this episode at soundpracticepodcast.com. 
If you have any suggestions for future episodes, we'd love to hear them. Email us at info at soundpracticepodcast.com. Subscribe to Sound Practice wherever you listen to podcasts so you can automatically receive our episodes. And please rate us and comment on the podcast in iTunes and Google Play. Sound Practice is presented and produced by the team at American Association for Physician Leadership. We are the world's premier organization for all aspects of physician leadership in every sector of healthcare. Learn more at physicianleaders.org. Had his holy cow, that man Robin. Rick Kapow.